How real is the threat of uh, of of like TikTok and these things that they talk about? It depends on what the threat is that you're concerned about, right? If you're actually trying to protect your private data, the threat is huge, right? But if if you're still one of the people that believes any of your data is private, you're still you're kind of lying to yourself. You're okay. you're following the thing that's not in plain sight. Is there a way to keep your data private? I think it's too not late. if you're going to live in the digital world. Yeah. If you're going to live in the digital world, the thing is they found too many ways to incentivize you to sacrifice your privacy okay. rights. So that's why. How concerned do we need to be with our exposure? Um, I would say we're overly concerned. And the reason I say that is because the, the U.S. federal government isn't interested in your private data. Like, even if you're doing silly things, if you're embezzling money from your boss, if you're committing tax fraud, if you're cheating on your spouse, they really it's don't care. Really their concern. Yeah, because it's so low level. Like, remember that the government is full of uh, attorneys and prosecutors who are trying to build a career. Yeah. Nobody's going to build a stellar career if they chase down the guy who just, you know, saved himself $4,000 on his taxes. They're looking for like the company that's hiding $5 million in offshore accounts. That's who they're looking to audit. So your privacy is not relevant. They don't care about it. Like, so if, but by hiding it from the government, it gives us a, it gives a field of, of like high grass where actual bad guys can hide also. Right. And if you think about the United States specifically, like people immigrate here, people become naturalized citizens here. And once you become a citizen, you're entitled to all of their citizens rights. So like that's how Chinese spies, Russian spies, like that's how foreign spies come here and operate here because they just follow the natural naturalization process. And do they go into government? They try. They try. There have been multiple cases where people have tried. People have tried to to um, go into CIA. I mean, you had the. Most recent case of the two Chinese spies that were caught in the U.S. Navy. Have you guys heard? Yeah, that? Yeah. that was just last week, right? So these two guys, both uh, Chinese American citizens, one of which just recently got a green card in 2022, right? These two were embedded. They were penetrations into the U.S. Navy, both from mainland China and then both on some journey to become American citizens. One of them had successfully become an American citizen, right? So. That is exactly the, the MO. How yeah. did they get made? So uh, there was, how did they get caught? Well, do we want to share that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's, it's public. Yeah, oh, it? they're, they're, they're going to jail on espionage mm -hmm. charges, right? So somehow the DOJ, that's a really good question. I don't know how they got caught. It'll be in the It'll in, be somewhere the report. Soon, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened with these uh, Chinese police stations on American soil type of deal? What is what is that? What is like the levity of that situation? What does that even mean? Yeah. So what that's that is a symptom of the Chinese police state. So first of all, you can't legally have a foreign law enforcement presence in a country outside of that that country, right? Mm -hmm. Like an embassy in a foreign country is technically land that belongs to the original country. country. But that's not like when you have a, a, in the case of the Chinese, they had like Chinese police stations to police themselves. in New York, right? To police other Chinese people in that country. Gotcha. So what it was doing is it was it was a violation of international law, but it's also essentially a a demonstration of the foreign country trying to create like a a covert law enforcement and or intelligence presence in your country. So yeah. now there's basically an undercover police station where people can report intelligence, where people can, where they can enforce 
uh, Chinese law on people living inside the United States, right? It's a conflict of interest. It's a number of things. And it's what's really interesting. Kind of a wild thought, right? Yeah, it, to an American, for so sure. That means that there's a there's a uh, a group of people that are here that are obeying a foreign entity, a foreign entity on American soil, legal system. And what's wild is, you know, we're talking about it in the United States, which is our home country, mm -hmm. but we caught them here. Yeah. Where else are they? Everywhere. And nobody knows about Thailand. <laughs> um, Damn, now I want to go to Thailand and just look for spies. When traveling outside of the U.S., do you have any tips for people on what they should or shouldn't be doing? Yeah, technology-wise or security, pickpockets, things of this nature. Yeah, I mean, there's a long list. Share. Yeah, there's a long list there. So the, one of the big things I would say that I hope is obvious is that don't ever try to show off your money, your status, or any of watches, things, watches, designer shoes, designer belts, right? Designer bags. Want to blend in? Yeah, and you want to blend in with the environment where you're going to operate. Yeah. What the fuck's the purpose in wearing your nice Gucci shoes when you get off the airplane in, you know, Kinshasa, DRC? There's there's no benefit to you. If anything, everybody there is going to see you as a target. And one of the pieces of like one of the pushback that I often get, especially from my executive clients, is they're like. Well, people wear designer stuff everywhere. People wear fucking knockoff designer stuff everywhere. If you've ever seen a knockoff Chanel next to a real Chanel, it's crystal clear. Screams. Night and yeah. day. Different. Screams. <laughs> it screams. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the world knows that. All the criminal elements of the world know that. And the thing to remember is that the criminal elements outside of the United States are exponentially more than the criminal elements inside the United States. Because inside the U.S., in order to make a, a, make a living, you actually usually have to have a real job. Yeah. The rest of the world, you can make a very comfortable living being a petty criminal. Yeah. So for sure, I would not, don't ever show off your stuff. Uh, do not use your electronic mobile devices when you are in a public open area, right? At, at a very minimum, at a bare minimum, find a fucking wall. So you suggest your... a camera over a cell phone to take pictures while you're on vacation? No, not that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Okay. What I'm saying is yeah. like when you reference a map, or when you're Googling a restaurant, your so you don't yeah. look like you're... Get your back against a wall, so so 180 degrees of approachability is now blocked off. Gotcha. And then reference your shit. What ends up happening is too many people walk, 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 and they stop and they reference their shit. And then they walk, 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 and they stop and they reference yeah. their shit. You Every time drugs. you stop to reference yeah. your shit, you're just telling everybody around you... You don't know where the fuck, fuck you're going. going. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I would have, I very highly recommend. I also recommend that people carry... Like, I have three, like absolute must everyday carry things um, and they're all lame and I'm sure most of the people that listen to this are going to tell me to fuck off uh, laced shoes don't wear fucking sandals like I don't care how you cool your sandals yeah. look like not only you might have to run the ground in most of the world is Cobble not stone. clean yeah. Yeah. like it's got glass it's got metal shards it's got all sorts of shit so when bad stuff happens and you need to exfil you don't want to do that in your flip flops Right. So laced shoes is number one. A hundred US dollars in small denominations is the second thing I recommend because US dollars specifically, because the US dollar still for now carries exponential value beyond just its currency exchange rate. So when you hand somebody in a foreign country a five dollar bill, it's worth more to them than just the exchange of the five dollar bill. Right. They, they have that interpretation of it. So you can get a whole lot done. With small bills. With small bills. And then if you take those small bills, fives and tens and ones, and you basically split them into two piles and you put one pile 
like in, one in your bag, one pile in your pocket. Now you're reducing the odds of losing all of your stash, you know, in, by, in two different ways. So 100 US dollars, laced shoes, and then a major US credit card is my third thing. Major US credit card is accepted pretty much everywhere and it'll get you anything you need in a pinch, right? It'll get you an airplane flight to a safer place. It'll get you a hotel room, even if it only has $600 on it. Like it'll get you where you need to be. Exactly. Where's your hard questions? Sir? Hard questions. No, uh, putting on your CIA lens and looking at American politics right now, we're so divided and everyone, there's a lot of this information and people just, it's ruining relationships, ruining families and ruining, uh, just, it's become a very hot topic. Ruining families, huh? <laughs> I mean, not my family, but just in general. <laughs> Dividing family. What's your, oh, yeah. with your CIA lens, yeah. what's the root cause of it? What do you think is the cause of it? And how can it, how can we reverse that trend? And how can we, mm. I guess, all get along? So I'll, I'll start in the reverse order. I'll start with the last questions first and work my way to the first questions, right? The way that we will reverse this trend is when we have a common enemy again. We've been fucking spoiled for too long yeah. and we have not had a common enemy. What's fascinating is that when you look at politics over the last, let's say, two and a half years, there has been large scale cooperation and movement together on economic issues, but nobody ever reports on that in the headlines, right? It doesn't make a good headline to say bipartisan agreement over the newest economic stimulus. Yeah, that does, that's not what makes headlines. So nobody writes about it. They only write about the things we disagree about. So it's important to understand that there is already a tendency back together on economic issues. We don't like inflation. We don't like raising the interest rate. We don't like having people unemployed. We don't like our tech sector going tits up. We don't like it. So there is bipartisan cooperation in those directions. Um, but we don't have a larger common enemy, something that every American can simply understand, like we did on 9-11. Airplanes blew up buildings, Americans died by the thousands, common enemy. Everything else was forgotten. We had a common enemy and we rallied and we went, we went crazy, right? Same thing happened with the attack on Pearl Harbor, common enemy. The one good thing I will say that's going on with China is they're in this kind of shitty position where they realize that if they take one step too far, they will become the common enemy that unites the United States and then they'll wake the dragon, right? Just like the Japanese learned in World War II. But at the same time, they also understand that if they never take that step too far, we'll just keep eating ourselves from the inside out. So that's my, my answer to what brings us together, common enemy. We need a common enemy. COVID was almost that, but then it got, it got politicized after what three weeks it became a political issue yeah just divided the whole country again right now where did it come from like why are we so divided you threw out the word disinformation i'm not disagreeing with disinformation but what i want to do is i want to expand the lexicon of what we're talking about here there's there's actually three types of information at play there is disinformation then there's something called misinformation and then there's something called malinformation most people use disinformation and misinformation like they're the same word, and nobody fucking knows what malinformation is unless they're an intel professional. Disinformation is an information that is intentionally dishonest. It is false information. I know it's not true, but I'm gonna tell you it's true. That's disinformation. Then there's misinformation. Misinformation is mistaken information. It isn't correct or it isn't complete, but nobody's trying to 
lie to you. They're just telling you something that isn't complete. This is the major problem with American media is misinformation. It should not be breaking news if there isn't enough information. It shouldn't be. Nobody should be talking about a tweet. That's not news. It's not corroborated. There's not multiple sources. It's not journalistically, you know, it uh, doesn't have journalistic integrity, so it shouldn't be reported as news. That's all misinformation. That's what's poisoned us. The advent of the 24-hour news cycle and the pressure, the intense pressure that's come from social media to replace journalism has been what's just rotted the American understanding of reality. But then there's a third kind of information called malinformation. Malinformation is malicious information, which means it is couched in a negative way, but it is in fact factual information, right? A fantastic example of this is the Trump indictments. Yes, he has been indicted. No, that does not mean there's actually enough evidence to convict him. An indictment is not a conviction. An indictment isn't even a fair review of the evidence at hand, right? It's just a one-sided view where a group of people who are all just the prosecution and none of the defense, they all have a powwow and they say, let's do this thing. It can have political implications. It can be whatever. So because that is maliciously mal-informed to the American public, it drives this polarization where you've got the conservatives who are like, this is bullshit, you know, we're attacking this guy and he's the best thing for America. And then you've got the you know, progressives on the other side who are like, he's a fucking criminal. The justice system hasn't had the chance to do what it's supposed to do. So both sides are couching facts incorrectly, which makes it malicious. Right? So taking the everyday spy tools, how does the common person decipher between that or figure out what's true, what's not based on the information they get. So the the very short answer is we have a whole training course on how to do that. It's called News Hacker, right? And that training course is available on our website. It teaches you exactly how to read the news with an eye towards corroborating evidence instead of reading what they're telling you. It, it helps you learn to see the thing that's in plain sight and to also see the thing that they're trying, the media is trying to distract you with. And again, the media is not trying to distract you because they're evil. The media is trying to distract you because what do they want you to do? Clicks. And keep reading. They don't want you to take action. They want you to read the next article, click the next link, read the next article. That's all they're doing. It's business. It's not malicious. It's just business. So the, the way that the everyday person uses spy skills to get past this is like, just to boil it down quickly, don't read just one news source. Read multiple news sources. And what I mean by that isn't read three news sources that are all politically left the same from the same source right. read a conservative news source read a liberal news source read a foreign news source right so my some of my recommendations read ap read reuters read bbc if you just put the three of those on your short list you'll see almost identical articles every day headlines will almost always be about the same topics written from three different perspectives that give you a very, from the two, from Reuters and AP, they're largely center, right? They have a small lean, but they're mostly center. And then you've got a foreign news source. So now where the three articles say the same thing, high confidence it's true. Where they say something that none of the other articles say, high confidence that it's not true. That's the fastest way for the average person to crack through the sizzle of media. Wow, that's a great, that's a great tool, man. 
Yeah, we're all getting fed our own algorithm, obviously, right? Yep, it creates an echo chamber, right? And that's so, it's something that benefits business. Screaming at each other or commenting negatively on everything. Because... It's funny you say that because Brian always says, hey, how come you don't like any of the pictures I send you? I'm like, because I don't want to keep feeding into the algorithm. And he keeps telling me, <laughs> Once you it's click looking on at it. your eyeballs. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but I don't want to let it know that I it really knows. like it. <laughs> I'll call you and say I like that one, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna click the like. <laughs> it's breaking to you. It knows. I know it knows. Um, Just people are worried about technology in a lot of ways. Um, oh, I don't want to drive a Tesla. It tracks everything. I don't mm -hmm. want to do this. But we're past that point, obviously, right? I mean, I try to tell people that like we're, you know, you walk around with a GPS in your yeah, pocket. It's too late. There's nothing hidden there. Yeah, it's too late for the concerns about privacy. It is not too late for the concerns about artificial intelligence. Yeah. Right. That's we're doing the right thing by asking ourselves about what's over the horizon. Over the horizon is a military intelligence term for threats that are coming that haven't been defined yet. AI is one of those over the horizon threats. It hasn't been defined yet, but we can all see how it could be a threat. Right? I mean, but when it comes to privacy, like you don't want to drive a Tesla. That's fine. Don't use a cell phone. Don't have a computer. Right. Don't have a pager go fucking live in the woods and you'll be fine, Yeah. right? But if you want to have any one of those things, just take them all, right? Yeah. Just might as well go all in, right? It's like having herpes for crying out loud. They're all in. Yeah. But, uh, but when it comes to AI, AI is one of those things where we still get to decide. The thing that sucks about it is that if you back out, that doesn't mean your Anybody competitors are going to back out. Yeah. So now you end up running the risk of your, comp your competition getting a head start. In your view, how dangerous for the human population? It's pretty bad, huh? What's difficult to predict is how the AI will be used. Because here's the truth about AI. It could be amazing, of course, for the human population. Yeah. Like the cure, everything yeah. you're looking for could be right there. Human error is so great that once you take that statistically away from everything and you know that this thing is going to give you a most probable answer yeah. immediately. Yeah, it, I mean, it changes the game on diagnosis, any type of healthcare. Creating new vaccines, creating yeah. new medicines, creating new sustainable food processes. Like any question you could ask a human, you could ask a machine, but humans have to sleep. Machines don't. Yeah. Right. You can basically like if you put 500 humans together, you're going to have all this conflict. If you just increase the machine's capacity 500 times, no conflict. Yeah. So there's so much room for so much awesome stuff. But the truth is, most innovation is fueled first by national security needs, yeah. which means AI will be developed and funded first, just like it is right now, on national security priorities. Because no one, no one in the business world is going to invest in a technology that doesn't have an immediate or near-term ROI. Only the government does that. And that's the truth for multiple governments around the world. So. The first thing it will be developed for is something weaponized, just like the laser. The first thing the laser was developed for. The first thing the fucking ink pen was developed for. Yeah. Hmm. Um, with all of this stuff revolving around technology, you have young kids. How much do you allow them to be exposed to? So it's it's less for us about not exposing them as much as it is about giving them context for what they're being exposed to. Right. So my son is 10 and my daughter is six now. Okay. And my 10 year old son is old enough that you can have a very mature conversation with him. My kids are also homeschooled. So we save them a lot of the distraction of mm -hmm. 
being in public school, right? Like the and you've done this from from the five from the time they were little, yeah, their whole life. So they don't really they don't understand like an average kid understands that adults are authorities. My kids just see people as people. Yeah. So they'll go right up to a grown up and be like, you know, whatever. How are you doing today? Hope you're having a nice day. Whereas a normal kid will avoid contact with an average adult. So I say that because when when my children come to me with some question about technology, which is often because their friends are usually public school kids. So like my son's friends both have cell phones. Their cell phones both have independent carriers and they play Minecraft and they watch YouTube and they like and it's all unlocked, right? Like I've got my 10 year old son has a seven year old friend <clears throat> who makes sex jokes. My son doesn't even understand sex jokes, right? So then I've got my son, my six year old daughter, and my 10 year old son running around making sex jokes. They don't understand because of some seven year old who makes sex jokes. He doesn't understand, but he hears on his favorite YouTube channels, which were recommended to him by his 19 year old brother. You see? Yeah, yeah. man. Like that's that's how technology kind of permeates. So what I try to do is teach my kids context. Like my son is, why don't I have a cell phone? Why don't I have a cell phone that's connected to the internet? Why is my cell phone dependent on the home, the house Wi-Fi? So I can't even use it if I leave the house, right? Or or why is my iPad blocked in terms of like how many how many minutes I get on certain apps and whatever else? And I have to give them context to be like, well, I I want to make sure that you understand that using your technology to create inspiration for art that's a good thing and i want to enable that but using your technology as a way to escape and forget about the other things you have to do isn't as helpful or productive to you one day you'll be old enough to make that choice for yourself but since you're 10 i want to help you learn the benefit of being productive based off of the inspiration you get from learning shows on youtube and technology that facilitates creation or creativity so that's kind of how we shape it you've talked about and previously from age i think one through seven and then seven to 12 and 12 to 25 i think that's what shapes can you get into that a little bit more and yeah. talk about how that really shapes a person and you just kind of and what you did from one to seven with your children absolutely so basically um there's four stages of development right? There's zero to three. There's three to seven. There's seven to about 13. And then there's 13 to 25. So from zero to three, kids are sponges. They have no ability to control what they learn, right? They see something, it sticks. They hear something, it sticks. They feel something, it sticks. That's why for anybody who's had a, a little baby, they cry so much. Crying is the only tool they have to communicate when you hear parents try to accuse like two-year-olds of manipulating them like the two-year-old can't conceptualize manipulation the only thing they can conceptualize is crying elicits a response from the milk sack or from you know the hairy guy or whatever yeah. else like that's, that's all they think that's all they understand they're not being malicious they're just like this is how i communicate it's all they've learned how to do so you can't control what a, what a child learns at that age. They learn everything. From three to about seven, they can start to choose what they learn, but they still have to learn everything. They can prioritize certain elements that are interesting to them, which is why you start to see elementary school kids who are like, I like math, but I don't like history. They can't help but learn the history, but they're interested in the math more than the history. So the brain develops a, an ability to 
prioritize information, but not block information. Then from seven to 13, the brain enters a phase where it can selectively block information, right? It doesn't have a bias yet, but it has the ability to just take in new information and immediately dump it. So that's why it's, you feel like your 12 year old doesn't listen to you. They actually just don't prioritize your information and they dump it, but they prioritize all the stories from their friends and they prioritize, you know, the commercial that's on TV or the picture on the back of the, of the cereal box, right? Mm -hmm. they, they choose what to let in and they choose what to retain and they choose what to dump. From 13 to 25, those are your puberty years. People don't realize puberty does not end at 18. Puberty actually biologically ends closer to 25, 24, 25. During those years, your brain is actually creating the, the foundational um, structure by which it will define everything after you're 25. That's where you create your, your rigid thoughts. That's where you create your hardcore preferences. That's where one of the reasons that churches are so actively engaged in youth is because they understand that cognitively, if you can get somebody heavily like embedded in the church by the time they're 25, they will most likely remain very committed to the church for their entire adulthood. Same thing happens with extremists. Same things happen with, that's why colleges work so hard to keep kids in like engineering fields and get your bachelor's and then get your master's and then get your PhD, right? Keep them in the flow to really wire them in the way that you want to wire them. Because now you're able to block out information and you're able to prioritize information, but you're also creating what's uh, the, the firmer parts of your pink matter, the firmer parts of your brain that will create your values, your morals, and your ethics. After 25, for the vast majority of people, they will never have any more cognitive development. They have the ability to create new brain cells. They have the ability for neuroplasticity to change the way their brain is structured. But for most people, they won't because they've already created the echo chamber and then they'll live in that echo chamber. Just like you were saying, the algorithm feeds you what you like. The algorithm just keeps feeding you what you like. The reason social media works so well and TV works so well and radio and music works so well is because they understand that once somebody's 25 and they're a consumer, they're going to stay in the thing that they're consuming, right? Even if they shift a little bit, they're not going to wholesale abandon the thing that they're into. If you're into hip hop now, you're probably into it when you were 24. If you're into race cars now, you're probably into it when you were, you know, 19. They, the, cons the consumable world understands that. So does the Intel world. So when you find somebody who's 25 years old and has a history of high performance, guess what their hardcore wiring is. And so when they're building a dossier on a target for you, for example, they'll go through that history from one to 25 and see how that person is and give you basically the profile of your target. Yeah, in broad, in broad strokes, for sure, mm -hmm. right? Like what we really care about are, you know, what was family like from zero to three? Because that's gonna help us understand what their foundational memories were. Were they in an orphanage? Were they in a wealthy home? Were they in a broke ass home? Did they have 12 siblings? Were they on a farm? You understand a lot more about what that three-year-old brain experienced when you understand that, right? Same thing happens when you figure out like, where do they do their core learning years? Where do they do their secondary school? What did they do in their young professional lives? You create these kind of like to use an art analogy, you're using these broad strokes to take to make a framework of what this person looks like. And then you use trained targeters and trained analysts to create the finer points. What are they doing now? 
your target might be 45 years old. What have they done from 25 to 45? Does it, does it corroborate and confirm what we anticipated based off of what their life looked like prior to 25? Yes, it does. Strong probability we know how to control this person from the moment we meet them. So in sales, you could apply sort of the same tactics if you're training, let's say, a corporate workforce yep. or sales team to kind of understand their, their client a little bit better to provide. Yeah, absolutely. And, but the, the difference is that when you're talking about the federal government, there's an unlimited budget. So they'll spend tens of thousands, 50000 $100,000 creating a dossier on a high value target with no guaranteed ROI. No business person is going to spend $10,000 creating a dossier for a possible lead. They're not going to do it. So the way that you scale that to business is by having basically like a pre-sales structure where you know exactly what you're going to ask and talk about through a skill we call the elicitation. So in the first five or seven minutes that you're talking to a prospect, you're eliciting certain information from them that helps you build those broad strokes, right? Hey, where are you from? How did you like growing up there, right? Like, did you have a big family? And you know, how did you spend, like, what, what were you into as a kid? Those kind of questions tell you so much about your prospect and it only takes one question. It takes four minutes and essentially you can vet whether or not this lead has high lifetime customer value or low lifetime. So open-ended questions geared towards what you're selling to get the information. Open-ended questions geared towards understanding the target and then you determine whether or not your understanding of the target makes them well-suited for your product. Right. Yeah. In, a, in an ideal situation, you have a lead generating source that only brings you qualified leads to start with. So then when you actually engage the lead in the sales process with a human being, you already know they're qualified to be there. So, you, you know, they're valid for the product. And now it's just a matter of understanding how quickly and how much they'll spend within the product line. And the, and the flip coin of this conversation here, as you were saying that, um, man, I guess when is a common nicety of, of following up on background into somebody collecting information, trying to manipulate us in some way, huh? Yeah, that's the tricky part, right? So um, the thing that I try to encourage people to understand is that CIA breaks all people down into two categories, trained and untrained. Yeah. A big part of my mission with, with Everyday Spy is to create more trained people because trained people have the skills to win and succeed on their own, but they also have the skills to counter untrained people. Because untrained people, no matter how good they are, are never as good as a trained person because an untrained person learned from the school of hard knocks, right? They learned how to play soccer by kicking a ball 10,000 times and learning how to kick it into a goal. That's never gonna be as efficient as the person who went to you know, a, a school that specialized in soccer, soccer training. So my mission with Everyday Spy is to create more trained people because they will have more success, which is a net benefit to our economy, our national security, and the future that I want to secure for my kids. But it also equips them to fight off and counter all the untrained people that are out there. When you understand, because you are trained, when you understand what to look for in an untrained person, you can spot manipulation almost instantly. Liars, thieves, narcissists, tricksters, right? Charlatans, you can see them for what they are and you can maintain your informational advantage because you'll also be smart enough not to fucking call them out on their shit. The worst thing you can do is see a criminal and look at them and say, you're a fucking criminal yeah. because you just gave up your informational advantage. 
right? It's mm -hmm. it's way better to be like, you're a really nice guy. I'll get back to you in a second, right? Like it's it's way better to maintain what you know without sharing what you know. Mm -hmm. But when you're an untrained person, can't help it. You can't you help want to be combative, defensive. Uh, you don't call have people out. You don't share that information. Correct. You don't have the concept. You don't have the the, the context. You don't have the patience. You don't have the self discipline, right? And you don't have the temperament because it hasn't been. You haven't seen the value of it yet. Yeah. So I mean, a big part of why I come to do stuff like this is because one conversation, like we've been able to to teach oh, thousands almost. of tens of thousands of people in one conversation. At least give them context. Mm -hmm. Right. Some people are, are sharp enough, hardworking enough, intelligent enough that they took this conversation and they'll be able to apply some of these concepts immediately. Yeah. I mean, really making the world a better place in America, stronger one conversation at a time. Right. It's great. great. Going back to the zero to seven, zero to three thing. How did you do it different knowing what you know and then raising children? So it's a great question. You actually I apologize for not no, no, touching no, on it earlier. So zero to three, our kids had zero screen time. They, they had never seen a screen. And a big part of that was because the human eye can't differentiate lights and shades in lights. Because all a TV is is different shades of light. Mm. When a kid, when a, when a two-year-old looks at a TV screen, all they see is light. They don't see black swatches and blue swatches. They just see fucking light in their face. And that's why they stare at it the way they stare at it. Because it's lights. It's like staring at a fire. So our kids had zero screen time from zero to three. Um, from three to seven, the big focus was on social skills, politeness, uh, niceties, social norms. We took them all over the world. They lived in Abu Dhabi during that age. We lived in an RV and traveled to all sorts of different parts of the United States at that age because I wanted them to see like, these are Southerners, these are Northerners, these are Arabs, these are Chinese, these are you know Russians. There's nothing wrong with any of them, but they all have different social norms they have different cultural behaviors they have different beliefs they have different whatever and the kids learned to become blind to color race accent whatever else right because during those core years they were exposed to everything so they don't judge anybody based on their skill based on their the color of their skin their age their accent whatever else so they're good my son is the only one of my kids who has come into that space between 7 and 13. so what i try to encourage him to do during this phase is understand that he has the ability to not retain information like this is especially with screen time now one of the reasons that I, that that keeps coming up is because he can select what he watches the algorithm will select what it promotes so i can teach him and he has the vocabulary and the intellect to understand like there's a whole world out there beyond whatever you're searching beyond whatever video comes up that's recommended to you next so we have to build in time to search the things that you don't even know to search for. So we do a lot of library trips. We do a lot of current event stuff. We do a lot of like history stuff. We do a lot of what's called student-led learning. So what that means is like, my son will become interested in something. Kids do it. You've all seen it happen, right? They become fascinated with dinosaurs. They become fascinated with, my son got into guns. I like it. I, I loved it when my son got into guns. Not because, <laughs> not because I'm worried about second amendment rights, but because Guns include material sciences, projectiles, uh, history, manufacturing, like physics. All of those things exist in guns. Mm -hmm. And then we can splinter out into all of those topics and, and research things that he would have never researched. If he would have just looked up guns in YouTube, it would have fed him guys with guns. But instead, we're able to look up 
how do projectiles work, which took some, which takes them down a road of understanding how cannons work and different types of cannonballs, and then how cannons progressed into artillery, and then how artillery is used on a battlefield, and then how artillery supplements naval uh, resources and air resources, and how strategic planning happens, and what a general is versus what a soldier is, and like the list goes on and on. It forces him outside of his one niche of interest. And it's, it's really hard for me because his friends, his public school friends, are in that fucking one niche of interest. It's all Minecraft all the time. Yeah, it's bro. all Halo all the time. Yeah. Right? Do their friend, do the parents of these kids not talk to you or like get any advice or do you give them any advice? Uh, so, <laughs> no, the, they don't talk to us. Like influence your kids, friends, parents, so that. So yeah, the, you are they wary of you because of your background or just. It's not, you know. It, or are they just so, are well, we just I, so distracted that. It's two things. One is that we're also distracted. And any parent would agree. Parenthood is hard work. It mm -hmm. is. It's a lot. Is it a lot? I just so, had all I had all my kids or three of them with me in Utah while I was working. And it was hard on my wife. I mean, we got a 10-month-old, a, a 5-year-old, a 7-year-old. That's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And it, it takes it all out of you, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, really challenging. So part of it is just that their their parents are trying to hash out a living. So they don't want to come talk to me. They know I'm former CIA. Then my wife is former CIA. They know that we're on YouTube and they know that we do these podcasts and some of them even watch our stuff. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're going to invite us to a barbecue or come over to our house, but their kids love coming to our house. And of course they love sending their kids to our house <laughs> because they know of any house in the neighborhood where their kids are safe there. It's that house. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But then I think there is another part of it where parents don't really like to admit their parenting concerns flaws or ignorance to each other yeah. like we don't like to highlight that we don't really know what to do we don't like to talk about our vulnerabilities as kids none of us like talking about that we're not sure how to talk about sex with our with our preteen we don't really know how to handle when you know our five-year-old i'm sure you know this when the five-year-old yells at mom and then mom yells at the five-year-old and then you've got this explosive battle and you're like nothing that mom is doing is healthy Nothing that the five-year-old is doing is healthy, but the five-year-old's a fucking five-year-old. Mom's a 35-year-old, but I'm not going to correct any of this. And nobody wants, like, dads will talk about that with other dads, but moms and dads aren't talking about that with each other. Yeah. And when moms talk to other moms about their meltdowns, it's all like, oh, it's okay. That's I'm normal. It happens to me, too. Nobody wants to be like, I'm actually kind of ashamed of the fact that I yell at my five-year-old. Yeah. Right? Every time I have those, those parent meltdowns where parenthood overwhelms me, it's so clear to me when it happens and I have the same kind of process. I do something stupid. I yell at the kids. I slam a door I, whatever I might do. Right. I, I broke, I broke the, uh, the light switches recently. Like the kids weren't listening. So I like slammed the light switches off and then it broke the plate for the light switches. And I was like, fucking now I got to go to home Depot and replace that shit too. So I have these moments where even I lose my shit. And then my process is I just lost my shit. My kids are crying because I just scared them, which is like the worst feeling in the world. For That's them. good, though. That's gone traumatic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But I go to my wife and I tell my wife, like, I just lost my shit. I'm kind of not proud of it. I, I feel like I should go apologize to the kids, you know, but it's hard because I don't want to appear like a weak parent or whatever. And usually my wife is like, what would you have wished your dad did to you? It's like, I wish my dad would have apologized. And then boom, I'm in there and I'm on the floor with the kids. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, guys. I lost my temper. It wasn't you. It was because I'm grown up and I've been working all day and I'm tired and I'm this and I'm that. And you guys are just having fun. It would be helpful if you weren't so loud. 
and I try to have a conversation with them. And because they've been doing this for seven years or six years and 10 years, like we've got it down to a science, right? They kind of know we were wrong, dad. You were wrong, dad. People do things wrong sometimes, but we'll all get better together. Where can people find uh, everyday spy training courses, all things uh, of you guys? Absolutely. So the, the best place to go is to go to everydayspy.com. That's the homepage and you'll find everything there from signups to free resources to our shopping page at everydayspy.com. If you prefer social media, you'll find me at Everyday Spy on all major social media platforms. If you're into the podcast space, then you'll find me at the Everyday Spy podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and all the major uh, podcast platforms. So those three places, and you'll find me for sure, everydayspy.com, at Everyday Spy, anywhere on social media. Or if you look up the Everyday Spy podcast, you'll find us on every place podcasts exist. Amazing. Who actually, who is your ideal uh, candidate or customer that you specifically add the most amount of value to? What's, what's that profile? That's an awesome question. So the ideal candidate for us is somebody who had somebody who is between the age of 35 and 52, who has the ability to convert their ideas into money. So some of that, sometimes that's an entrepreneur. Sometimes that's an executive. Sometimes that's just a creative person, right? But if you have the ability to turn an idea or inspiration into money, you're the perfect fit for us because what we can feed you is new ideas, new perspectives that you can convert into new revenue generating opportunities. If you're somebody who is in like a corporate environment or in some, some kind of bureaucratic process where you have to run your ideas through somebody else, we absolutely can help you, but you're always going to be dependent on the person who has to approve of your ideas. That's why our ideal client is somebody who's independently capable of making their own decisions and creating value out of thin air. Amazing. I love that value out of thin air. It's the best feeling in the world, right? It totally is. Bringing it's... an idea into 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 the the physical realm. Uh, before we wrap up, um, anything that you want to share with the viewers, listeners, um, anything at all that like you know you would like to 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 end with or or give to them? Yeah. So the I love this question. Your, your questions are like freaking killer, you guys. I hope Thank you know you. that. But uh, the, the main thing I want people to understand is that human beings, we are not that different from each other. We have different skin, we have different accents, we have different education levels, we have different income levels, but what every person boils down to is what exists between your ears, which is nothing more than an organ, right? Your brain is just a bundle of cells that looks exactly like everybody else's brain out there. That's really what a human being is. So while everybody in the world is trying to segregate, split, differentiate, and marginalize each other, realize that we have so much more in common and the human experience is an experience where we are tribal creatures. We want to be together. So don't let yourself get distracted by people trying to highlight reasons to be apart. Let yourself do what's natural and focus on what we have in common. And if we can do that, man, we can actually change the world. Amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. We appreciate your time, all of the knowledge you've shared. Uh, definitely some really cool stuff in there and eye-opening. Um, I love the, the outro. That's right. I mean, I feel the same way. Um, I always say if I had a superpower, I just want to be able to communicate with anybody the way I can speak English because I feel like, you know, we'd get a lot more done that way, right? That's so true. Yeah. 
Um, all the listeners, viewers, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, See you guys on the next one. <laughs>